Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche, and this episode will be a bit different, but I hope just as valuable. To celebrate one year of podcasting, this week I'll bring some of our most popular Enrollment Insights webinars to you in podcast form. I've trimmed up the opening a bit, but otherwise all the content is there. You can find the slides and additional resources in the show notes, linked in the podcast description, or at niche.bz podcast. All right. Jay, if you want to kick us off by uh, introducing yourself. Sure. Good afternoon or good morning, everybody. My name is Jay Jacobs. I'm the Director of Enrollment and Admission Operations here at the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida. Uh, thank you to Will. Thank you to Niche for, for having us uh, at the webinar today. I've been at UM for the past five years, uh, over, uh, and, and part of, the, part of my responsibilities are overseeing our top-end funnel building exercises. So looking forward to uh, the conversation here this afternoon. Thanks, Jay. Carlos? Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, pleasure to be here. My name is Carlos Cano. I'm currently the Assistant Director of Admissions for Communications <laughs> at Maritime College, part of the SUNY system uh, in the Bronx in New York City. Uh, currently in my 11th recruitment cycle uh, in admissions, a lifer uh, to admissions and enrollment management. Uh, super excited. Um, to be here. I also will be transitioning uh, to a new role starting December 1st. So I'll actually be the new director of admissions, communication, and marketing at Georgia Court University in New Jersey. So uh, heading back across the river. I'm a native New Jersey guy. So heading back across the river to uh, continue my career. Uh, thanks to Will. Thanks to Niche for the uh, invitation. Happy to be here and talk to everybody. Thanks and congrats, Carlos. Uh, and last but certainly not least, Tara. Hello, everyone. My name is Tara Evans, Vice President of Enrollment Management with International School of Indiana. It's a secondary school in the Indianapolis area that serves students age three to grade 12. Um, I started here about a year and a half ago after spending about 12 years in higher ed admissions and enrollment. And um, it's been a, a great transition to kind of oversee all things admissions, also financial aid, and the registrar's office is part of this department as well. So um, it's been a little different from the college side, but I've enjoyed the challenge and also to be able to work um, at a school in the community uh, where I live as well. And so I look forward to talking with you today. And thank you to Mitch and to Will. We served together on uh, the Indiana Association of College Admission Counseling for a couple of years uh, when he was in the higher ed side too. Yep, yep. nine years goes fast. Uh, <laughs> definitely as you go, go in for everyone coming in, uh, still we, uh, you know, this will be recorded. We'll get the, the out to everybody. Uh, as you have questions, feel free to put those into the questions panel uh, on your sidebar. First up, uh, you know, as we're watching applications and inquiries come in throughout the year here, I'm curious about what your checkpoints are. You know, how do you keep track of where you are with your inquiries, visits, applications, any other measures you might use uh, to help you know, you know, when do we need to start doing something different? What's our what's our cutoff points? Sure, I'm I'm happy to to hop in. So uh, we use a, a a number of different reports that get sent to uh, uh, the senior enrollment team um, at different at different points throughout the year. 
<clears throat> primarily uh, on the inquiry side, you know, we're looking at monthly inquiry reports um, uh, year over year. So where are we this month compared to where we were last month? You know, and of course we we segment that that list down in a number of different ways, right? Different sources, different um, uh, uh, gender, geography, race, ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. However, you can kind of cut the cloth, so, so to speak. Uh, that way, if you do need to, at the top end, most top end of the funnel, if you do need to take any corrective action, uh, you can you can do that um, in, in short order. Um, we also are looking at um, uh, month over month. So, you know, how many inquiries did we have this month versus last month? That helps us understand kind of the health or the demand of the institution. It also serves as a little bit of a checks and balance system on the team, right? In terms of are we loading everything correctly? You know, if you catch a, a big spike or a big valley in one month, at least you don't, you, 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 you didn't, you caught that. You caught the error quickly enough to to um, to correct it and, and and get everyone back on track. Um, in terms of you know applications, it's similar kinds of reports. Uh, they increase a little bit more frequently, uh, especially here we are on October 30th, uh, approaching our November one deadline. Um, you know, so we're you know. Will, you mentioned hopefully no one's working this weekend. I have a feeling we'll be, a couple of us will be hitting refresh a couple of times over the weekend for sure. Um, and then uh, in terms of um, uh, uh, class visits, you know, we look at, or uh, campus visits uh, uh, in a typical year. This year we're looking more at digital engagement, which I know we'll get to a little bit. Similar types of reports. And then um, in terms of our, our student search strategy, we look at engagement reports, whether or not students are opening emails or clicking through on our links, and uh, and then of course you know going fully responding and, and becoming inquiries. Uh, and we get engagement reports about every 10 days to 10 to 14 days, uh, whenever we have an active campaign running. Great, Tara, could you tell us how that how that differs on the K-12 side? So it is somewhat similar, somewhat different. I feel like the higher ed side, it has a more established admissions process, admission cycle, uh, you know, governed by, uh, for the most part, NACAC, even though that's changed a bit over the last couple of years. Uh, but there's definitely an overall structure in place, which helps guide your work. Uh, but it's definitely a lot different on the high school side. But I think as um, independent school recruitment uh, for secondary schools becomes more competitive. Uh, we are working to create some similar processes in place to help guide our work. So for one, um, this you know, my institution is only about 26 years old, so I was starting to put some uh, systems in place, which even looking at numbers from the previous year and uh, creating a strategic enrollment plan so that you can I'll look to see what your base is and then a forecast what you where you think you should be but also putting that admission cycle and timeline in place so that you can plan accordingly on when you want to see your applications come in so that you can um, fill your funnel ahead of that and have the applications that you need in order to reach your goals based off of your you know fiscal year and uh, the timelines that you need individuals to meet and so, um, so for one, it, it's looking at, you know, where you were from the previous year, where you want to be, how you're going to get there, what uh, strategies can you put in place along the way 
and how does that time with when people are looking for secondary schools um, so that you can match your you know digital marketing or outreach efforts uh, to capitalize on that and then um, about using our software system in a somewhat similar fashion to see you know where we are by the month and did we reach the the goal that of the plan that was forecasted um, and then having some general like brand awareness that we're doing in order to uh, capitalize on those who uh, may be interested in our institution. And so, so anyway, so I would say it was it's different from just in general putting a system in place um, and then creating some timelines and then also uh, from the ways to find information or to find students, it's a little bit more organic and um, more community-based um, in trying to reach people versus having um, a organizations that you can go to in order to fill your funnel uh, with names of people who might be interested. So that's been an interesting um, kind of concept to get people to understand and determine uh, what methods are available in order to help fill the top of the funnel. And one quick question here, Tara, that just came in. Uh, do you have differing plans for your elementary school versus the secondary school? Oh, uh, good question. So uh, for us, we have some general brand awareness, but then yes. And so um, one of the strategies that we're implementing is that targeted recruitment with preschools and um, looking to recruit students at their exit point. So it's a little bit different for us because since we are a preschool through grade 12 school, we have to be careful to know that we are not trying to poach their students, but we do want to recruit their students at the place where their school ends, but then also developing some K-8 partners. Um, but again, um, establishing a relationship that's strong enough for them to realize that we are wanting to access their students at their exit point um, for our high school. So, so yes, it's different in terms of um, how we, who we partner with to find students, um, but, and also how we engage with them. And then, and, and then because it's a whole school recruitment versus just um, you know, one uh, high school or one level of school, um, and in all of the in institutions that we're going to, um, there could potentially be a level of competition, so that might cause some apprehension as well um, in that targeted recruitment process. But also, we differentiate the way we market, because in the lower school, it's very, one of the biggest appeals is the language immersion piece, because they can come in and have that 100% a language immersion, but that very distinction of our institution actually hinders us for upper school recruitment because the, those parents think, oh, well, we, we would need to have already started or already know a language um, coming into the school, but we actually have tracks for new language learners in the upper school, so we've had to differentiate our marketing depending on the audience we're targeting. Carlos? Yeah, I echo uh, Jay's comments earlier in terms of you know the reporting. Obviously, we know the the data and the numbers don't lie. Um, I think what I have found uh, very useful too is to be able to support what we're seeing from a data standpoint uh, from from our inquiries and our application numbers and all of that, and to uh, correlate that with some of the stories that I hear from colleagues on the counseling side in terms of what they're hearing from students and families and, and whatnot. And so one of the things that I have found to be probably the most telling 
uh, about uh, everything that we're dealing with right now is the demand for uh, students and families to want to visit campus. Uh, and so we have seen a major uh, decrease in the amount of students registering for our virtual campus tour. Uh, the moment that we offered in very limited uh, availability uh, our in-person campus tour program. And so it's it's almost like darned if you do, darned if you don't, because we want the engagement, of course, in any capacity, but we certainly wanted to at least kind of be even. And so what I think we're seeing is that folks, at, at seeing that we're now offering in-person opportunities, they're thinking, okay, that means they're going to offer more at some point. So I think a lot of people now, at least for us at Maritime, they're waiting out on the opportunity to be able to visit campus. And so from conversations that I'm having with colleagues on the counseling side, on the secondary school side, uh, they are very much uh, in, uh, in sync in that students and families want to see campuses in person. They're kind of done with the whole Zoom and virtual tour, virtual tour here, virtual tour there, uh, and, and they want to see these campuses. And I, I think that also correlates with folks being down in application numbers. One of the other things that I'm hearing from uh, those colleagues on the school counseling side that work with students on their applications is students are hesitant to pull the trigger on their application if they haven't visited uh, the school that they may consider applying to. Um, and so one of the things that, you know, we're starting to think about here is how can we uh, tailor the message to a student and a family to, I guess, give them the confidence or give them the, the, the certainty that, you know, they can still apply and that opportunities will hopefully come up uh, in, in the future to be able to visit campus, but that they shouldn't necessarily hold back, per se. Uh, on their application just because they haven't been able to visit. Uh, so being able to provide resources and opportunities uh, so that they'll they'll take on that next step uh, in the process. How are you balancing a shift to even more digital recruitment this year? The million dollar question, uh, I suppose it's it's I find again, it's been it's very hard to find that balance because, I think at least, especially in the Northeast and, and particularly in the markets that Maritime is, is very deep in, so New York, New Jersey, uh, and, and, and the neighboring states, um, so many of the students in this general area are all remote, are either all remote or they're in a, some kind of a hybrid uh, situation. And again, what I'm hearing from from students that I that the students have the opportunity to speak to, uh, because I do try to engage them and, and get a little bit more insight uh, when I'm able to talk to them, uh, is that their Zoom fatigue is real and they're just you know kind of tired of, of the whole you know Zoom meeting here, a GoTo meeting, a Google Meet, whatever it is. Um, and so the question becomes, how much is too much? Um, you don't want to, you know, oversaturate uh, the opportunities in a virtual space, knowing that, you know, that's not necessarily where they want to be. But you obviously can't just say, okay, then, you know, pull everything back and say we're not going to do anything in the virtual space. Um, I think, you know, a conversation that I had with with our leadership team here at Maritime in the admissions office is. 
being able to uh, evenly distribute resources and ourselves uh, as members of the team to tell students we're in all of these different places and so wherever you want us to meet you you know this is where we're going to be whether it's a live session at one time you know chat hours from x time to y time uh and and anything else in between so that's that's how we're approaching it trying to be flexible and available i think are the two key words that we focused on and I would say here on our side is we've actually seen an increase in attendance at our information sessions when we've gone virtual. Um, I think part of that is because typically our activities were during the day, but even when we had events in the evening, um, they weren't necessarily better attended. And I think because people can log in from their workplace, um, they have found it maybe a little bit easier to attend. But as far as how it's changed, um, it, in another way that we're balancing it is, for one, we have, we have our tour times at around the same time. Obviously, we've changed our confirmation messaging and things like that. Um, but we've offered more like group digital um, information sessions, virtual sessions, and we still do have some individual pers personal tours. But we've relied a lot on our marketing and communications team too, because um, we want to make sure that we're capturing people's attention virtually um, with our visual communication. And so, um, you know, I communicated with our directly with our comms team in preparation for this, and and we worked together really closely with them to develop like the assets that we need and how how we need to invest based off of the limited budget that we have so that we can increase our digital footprint and also to better leverage the digital platforms that we use. So uh, we did produce a virtual tour, especially in the heat of COVID, even though our school building was closed. Um, they went in with a, a film team to capture some photos and then also videos. Um, and uh, so that for one, we could build a photo library that individuals could look at on our website um, and for those who are less inclined to view like a long video but also too that was really helpful and I'm glad that they did that on the front end because sometimes with zoom your videos don't um, you know filter very well to other people's computers and so we were able to change the way we showcase our school by doing the photo tour when we realized that the video tour wasn't working very well and then um, also producing like some shorter films, um, shorter form detailed animations um, with the potential to stand out in people's timelines and news feeds as opposed to like more traditional informational videos that would be played as part of an in-person session or even on Facebook because we know many times people aren't necessarily playing the entire video on Facebook, but they might scroll through and see what's happening. And so it does have some animation pieces in it which continues to capture their attention, but it's not for a long period of time. And so trying to find ways to capture them initially um, in a way that's interesting, but also getting some of those key messaging pieces out in that video, um, which is like the no language prerequisites, or you know, because we're called international school, many times people think that we're primarily for international students. So some quick um, mm -hmm. facts that you know, 84% of our uh, students are actually from um, America or a central Indiana area or have moved here uh, from other parts of the US. So getting out some of the uh, quick facts that we need to uh, dispel some myths in those short animations 
in the digital advertising has uh, been some of the ways that we've shifted a bit, especially in this COVID reality overall, but especially in this COVID reality. I'd have to echo what what Tara said, and you know, give kudos to our to our friends and colleagues in the in the marketing groups. Um, you know, come when 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 we realized we were going to be fully remote, right in in March and April, uh, they dove in. I mean, luckily enough, they they were forward forward thinking before that, and 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 uh, building up our digital recruitment space. At the University of Miami, you know, we primarily focus on YouTube and Instagram. We do have a, a small Facebook and Twitter presence, but it's it's primarily those two social mediums. Um, and um, we were able to pivot pretty quickly and get you know information sessions up. We had the tour up that you know, luckily we had just renegotiated our contract with our vendor and got a new tour up and stuff like that, right? So some of it was luck, some of it was forward thinking, um, but the vast majority of it was just kind of pulling the bootstraps up and working your butts off uh, to get it done in March and April, uh, while realizing that recruitment season was gonna come here before we knew it and uh, get, get new information and content ready uh, for the summer months and, and, and this fall uh, when we're out recruiting uh, the next class of students. Um, as Carlos mentioned, you know, we too have uh, started opening up our campus for very limited campus visitors. And at first, you know, the team was a little apprehensive about going in and giving tours or, or, or information sessions. Um, but once they saw the protocols that we put in place for our guests and then the, the um, uh, willingness to comply with those protocols from our guests, I think tensions were eased quite quickly. And now it's uh, we have a really nice rotation schedule where our teams don't feel um, that, you know, it's all in this or that, right? Uh, to Carlos's point about Zoom fatigue, um, you know, sure, sometimes they're here doing what we're doing today, but then other times, you know, they're, they're, they have their face coverings on and, and out greeting the visitors that are coming down to Coral Gables to, to see our campus. So I think that that um, change of pace and change of scenery is certainly helping the morale on the team side. Um, and then, you know, what we've really started to think about, um, you know, call us optimistic, but uh, when life goes back to whatever normal looks like again, you know, what what's going to stick, right? What what uh, how, what do we keep online? What do we bring back in person? And what really what's that balance of the two? You know, I do think digital recruitment is here to stay, uh, but really understanding the cost benefit analysis of um, where do you travel online versus boots on ground? Where what how often do you got to change the content of your information session? Uh, or do live information sessions online versus the live in-person information sessions on campus and things like that. So those are fun and, and engaging conversations we're having right now. Um, and I would imagine it, the marketing team, if we haven't already, has started to survey and assess the, our visitors um, and then the, the students that we engage with online to understand uh, what the ROI is in all of these different types of events. Great, thank you. Before we move into the next question, I'm gonna put a quick poll up here. I wanna see, it says here, we're just curious, You know, do you have a plan to bring in more students mid-year here? As we, you know, a lot of schools are reporting that they're down applications, down inquiries, 
I'm seeing a lot of people who have a plan in place. Okay. Yeah, so it looks like just over half of people already have a plan in place and a strategy in place to recruit more students mid mid year here. Uh, you know, there's this is this is my next question. Well, I'm curious to hear from you. How are you balancing uh, and, and how are you building out this plan? You know, you can get students who organically come to you. They're they're reaching out to say, hey, I'm interested in Air National School. I'm interested in, in Miami. I'm interested in Maritime. Uh, the paid, so you're doing your digital advertising, your remarketing, uh, whether that's trying to bring in inquiries or applicants. You know, there's the just social media. You try and build some awareness there. Uh, and then your referrals. So your uh, your school search platforms, college search platforms, other places linking to you. What are you doing to help bring in and, and balance out your class if you're if you're not meeting some of these checkpoints? We've started to uh, uh, think about um, either different relationships we can be building out uh, on the vendor side or expanding existing relationships. Um, and you know, I won't go into detail since we're hosted here by niche, but um, uh, you know, there's a number of different platforms out there that you can get the institution out in front of students and uh, uh, build that organic uh, interest. Um, as well as, you know, the what all, everything that you mentioned, Will, um, and it kind of goes back to what I what I talked about a minute ago, and is kind of assessing what the cost benefit analysis is. Uh, this time, though, of of the time spent building out those platforms or communication flows or or online presences with the the labor hours internally, right? And then how many students are you getting in front of? Uh, uh, because because of those platforms, um, so you know we're we're we we've been doing it for some time. We always have had a small January intake, uh, both of transfers and first year students. Uh, honestly, um, our our intake in January has typically been on the international side of students. Um, so what does that look like for us this year? We're not uh, totally sure. Our applications are up. Um, it is still skewed more heavily uh, international, um, and, and therefore, you know, we will need to kind of segment that group a little bit further to figure out where are they, and you know, where do they already have visas that are held, and therefore, it could get to Florida for in-campus person uh, uh, in-person classes, or you know, we we of course are going to roll out the online and hybrid modalities for the spring 21 term again. Um, and I think that uh, what we learned from this year, we will be ready to implement uh, either at scale for, for fall 21, um, as we're diving into the, those applications as we speak, um, or heaven forbid, you know, we're here in the same space in, in spring 22. Um, uh, so, you know, just kind of continuing to, to learn from uh, this unprecedented situation, which I apologize for using the, the cliche of unprecedented there, but you know I think we have this unique opportunity this year to learn from it uh, in order to kind of tweak or copy and paste or however you want to do it for fall 21 or spring 22. Um, some of the things that we have done, um, even though we launched our digital marketing and we were tending to see that we were getting a lot of views and a lot of clicks um, and people were spending more time on our page, which was good. 
Um, but we had some general brand awareness and then we had some specifically for our open house, but we weren't seeming to get a lot of registrations. Um, and so we kind of layered that with some traditional efforts. So we did a call blitz um, to, you know, fortunately our funnel had grown. So we had more inquiries in the system because they were interested, even though they hadn't registered for the event. Um, but so we called them and that increased like the number of registrations that we had for our virtual open house. Um, and then, but the first step was getting them in the system, which so our digital marketing efforts helped with that piece of it. Um, we invited, you know, our own students to attend uh, from the the um, population that we already have since we have younger students. This was specifically for our high school open house, so we invited our own middle school students um, versus just the general invitation. And then uh, we revamped our registration form because we, you know, because it's a virtual, so you need to know their Zoom name because it might be like Tara's iPhone and or, you know, anything could show up on the screen. I'm like, how do you put people in breakout sessions when you don't know who they are? And so, um, and so we wanted to capture all of this information up front, but I think we all know that the more you ask for it from, the less likely they are to actually register for your event. And so after maybe about a week, week and we saw that it didn't seem to be performing as well, uh, right before we did kind of our uh, huge outreach effort, we revamped it so that uh, we asked for less information. We got the bare essentials that we needed, and we figured we would um, do some additional like announcements at the beginning of the session to make sure, uh, you know, teach them how to change their Zoom, Zoom name. Or we had extra parent ambassadors on there to collect that information just to make sure that we could uh, place them properly and that we knew who attended. Um, but we were fortunate to have people there to reach out to, and just those layers were helpful in order for us to increase attendance in that, at our event, and it ended up being pretty um, successful there. Um, but we but we just realized that it has to be a combination of the two, and then in your efforts to uh, try to make things work virtually, you might have to figure out how to do some traditional methods to reach out to people or um, to get the information that you need on the back end um, in order to get um, the registrations in order to get people at the event. So in the end, we all know it's a relationship building, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person, and finding ways to have various touch points is really helpful for that successful recruitment process. Um, but the other thing we did too, in order to liven up the Zoom events, um, is we added some prizes. So we have like a little virtual prize, because you know, a lot of times in person, you can say, who traveled the farthest or who got here first? And like, you admitted them all at the same time. And so um, we just have like a little um, virtual prize wheel that we use and it has like the music and the confetti and everything. And so that was just another way to um, get them excited and we taught them how to use the virtual reactions on the Zoom screen. And so I was like, so there's some ways to add some personal elements to uh, your Zoom event, even though you're not in person. And so we wanted to try to help them to be engaged as much, much as possible. And then the other thing that we've done, though, is that we're moving towards, because as a secondary school, we don't have any visitors in our buildings. Um, as that's part of our COVID protocols, we don't even have parents in the building. So we have to respect that as it relates to visitors, too. Um, and so we have started offering after hours tours uh, so that they can come in after the students are gone. And then we know that the building is going to be clean before our students come back the next day. So that has been a bit of a challenge for us. Um, but we've started offering the larger sessions virtually and then now offering um, actually available on our website to schedule in-person tours after hours. 
I, I would just add, uh, you know, especially when we're talking about uh, spring and, and for us at Maritime, our our spring uh, semester intake is primarily the transfer student population. Um, and obviously with everything that's been going on, we have found it very important, very critical to really uh, extend ourselves as much as possible to really help those transfer students navigate this process um, as best as we can. So whether it's offering one-on-one -on -one sessions, uh, trying to get credit evaluations done as quickly as possible, and and for Maritime, it's a, it's a smaller population, so it's it, it becomes more realistic to be able to turn around certain processes relatively quickly. Um, and so just being able to do that for, for students so that they have the best possible uh, scenario and landscape of what their spring could potentially look like if they, you know, are considering maritime. Uh, and at the same time, just being very, as being as proactive as we can about how we're going to work with uh, the incoming fall class and, and what that pool looks like. And uh, part of all of this is still navigating a lot of the unknown and so not knowing what the spring will look like uh, yet is 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 difficult uh, but going with what we do know and what we did last spring uh, and understanding what worked and what didn't and how we're going to roll that out but also kind of having I don't want to necessarily say plan B but I guess plan A1 in terms of what we can do if we are able to start bringing I don't want to say large groups because I think people get uh, scared about that, but slightly larger groups perhaps than what we've been doing so far uh, onto campus. So just being as proactive again as possible with with our fall students, but really again rolling out the proverbial red carpet for our spring students, knowing that because there's so few of them, but each of them is so valuable to us, of course, uh, coming in. So that's really what we've been trying to do here. Great. One more quick poll here. Uh, kind of tie. You can keep adding questions. We've got quite a few. I'll try and get to here. Uh, I'm just curious. What what are what are your schools doing to reach new students in the middle of the year here? You know, are you doing your traditional prospecting, your name buys, digital marketing campaigns, uh, working with different vendors for inquiries, uh, try and influencer and ambassador campaigns? Try get the word out. Use your own students and alumni. Uh, or do you have counselors on the road somehow? Uh, there's a lot of ways that this can be done. Most people are using digital marketing, not a huge surprise there. Unsurprisingly, a lot of digital marketing, you know, you can reach students and families where they're at right now, which typically is going to be at home or, or connected to their phone or laptop in some way. Um, prospecting, you know, buying, buying more, um, more students, you know, you might be behind. So you, you go out there. I'm glad to see a lot of people look for inquiries as part of that mix. Uh, I, I'm I'm surprised so many people are using influencer ambassador campaigns, but that's a great sign. Uh, that's something that I'm talking to a lot of people who are trying to get into that. So, uh, okay, a few questions. I, there's actually a few here for Tara, so uh, if you don't mind answering a few rapid fire here. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so a, a pretty quick one here, actually. Uh, would you mind sharing out a link to that uh, website with your video tours and the short videos? People are curious what that looks like. Do I just put that in the chat? Yeah, you can either do that. Uh, you can either chat out to everybody, or you can send it to me, and I'll I'll send it out okay. with the with the video and show notes. Okay. Uh, so we'll get that. We'll figure out a way. Uh, 
you know, curious too here, uh, do you have in-person in classes for your preschool through eighth grade right now? Oh, we have in-person classes for everyone. So our school has just a little over 500 students in it. So fortunately, even with the um, citywide mandate uh, for uh, schools, we meet the cutoff because I think it's a, if you're 400 or less in your um, high school and we're 400, less than 400 in our middle school and high school. And then um, under that for, for each school level, we are under that. And so we are able to still be in person. Um, but we have our students broken up into cohorts and we have all of our COVID, actually our COVID ready for procedures are front facing on our website. Um, and we have them wearing masks for grade two and up based off of the citywide mandate. And um, and even our preschool students to grade one typically tend to wear them too, even though they're not required. Um, but they especially wear them when they're with um, their special teachers or when they're in common areas or when they're working together in a group versus at their desks, so. Yeah, and have you gotten any feedback about having in-person classes for that group? Is, is that helping or hurting uh, oh. your, your inquiries? So good question. So we actually have an option. So our students are, um, they can submit a learning preference form per session. So we've divided up in the four session, which is basically by quarter. It's like August to October, October to December, January to like March and then, March to um, June, we end the first week of June, and they can choose to learn in person or remote. And so for the first session, we probably had about 18% um, of our students choose remote, but then within the first couple of weeks, especially for the younger students, uh, we had a lot of parents asking if they could send their kids to school. So we offered a grace period that we hadn't originally planned to. Um, in order to allow more students to come back to in-person because I think they just felt more comfortable after seeing and via the screen or the cameras that we had implemented that like safety protocols were being followed. I think they uh, were more comfortable sending their child in. So we ended up with about 15% remote for the first session. Um, but then by the second session, now we only have about 10% of our students are remote, 90% are in-person. And the majority are gonna be our upper school students because they can work more independently anyway and their parents might be working from home too, or even if they're not, they feel comfortable with like their high school students staying at home and being able to get their work accomplished. And fortunately, we have the infrastructure in place to make that happen because all of our sixth grade students and up already have computers. They all have email addresses, even the three-year-olds. So we're able to push out information as necessary um, to get them the information that they need to remote into a class. But before our upper school, it's via Zoom since they all have computers, whether they're in class or not. Um, and so, so we're all here in person, but we do have a remote option. But as it relates to recruiting, that has helped us as well, because many families want an in-person option, but they also liked the flexibility that they had to choose, especially for our uh, families who have doctors who were concerned about going into hospitals and then coming home and maybe and not wanting their child to potentially expose another child because their family themselves have a level of risk that they feel like they might um, encounter um, because of the nature of their work, um, but also for those who either had children who were immunocompromised or a relative that was, they wanted to be able to have that flexibility, but then there were some who wanted to make sure their kid could go in person. So the fact that all of our students have the opportunity to go in person has helped. And we also sought out um, an exception from the Department of Education to make sure that our pre-elementary program could stay open 
um, because as you all know with small children who were home with your kids this spring, uh, that doesn't really bode well for productivity uh, with the toddlers at home. Um, and so I'm sure yours were like mine who made sure they made an appearance on Zoom uh, for uh, at least one meeting a day. Um, but so because of that, when we opened back up with all of our COVID protocols in place, we asked if we would be able to operate under that exception in case um, the governor were to close schools again. And so we're able to do that um, because we know that it is an essential service for our families um, who need to work, whether they're working at home or um, out of the home who have small children. And that has helped our recruitment as well. And on that note, though, we did have, we have more commitments. Um, we have more folks who were either our own students who were re-enrolled or new students who chose to wait to start in January just because of trepidation due to the pandemic. Um, and so we are expecting to see an uptick um, in January for our enrollment just based off of our confirmed commitments. Um, but that's definitely been a difference that we have seen because there was still some level of precaution that parents wanted to make. Um, and then there were a few though that had signed up for January that ended up coming earlier um, because they felt comfortable um, sending their kid in um, to school or having them start at that point too. But we do still have several more that are gonna wait till January to start. Okay, and actually coming into that last one for you here. Uh, mm -hmm. So the with, with all the talk of the, the preschool programs, pre-K, uh, have you found anything that's really working well for recruiting those students? Um, I mean, our information sessions have been, like I said, we've had more attendance than we typically have, even at the in-person one. So I think the access to information has been helpful. They do all want to see the facilities. And so I'd say, I'd say the biggest uh, hindrance probably this past spring and is why we're trying to figure out how to make it work now is they want to see the physical facilities. They also want their child when they're sending their small child into a building that they've never been before that gives the, the parent pause and they want to make sure that their child has a smooth transition. So that's another reason why um, we're implementing the after hours tours so that they can have an opportunity to physically see the space where their child is going to be and then making arrangements to be able to meet with teachers, especially come the spring when they'll be making those final decisions. And so um, I would say that those are some of the big components. And then we also have a pre-entry visit that is normally where they would shadow an existing class, but we don't have visitors coming in um, and our kids are in cohorts, so they're not intermixing with students who aren't in their cohort. And so instead we're having visits where all of the prospective students will be in their own cohort for that play-based evaluation instead of in the classroom. And then for the students who are older who would maybe normally have done a regular shadow day, they're shadowing for like one to two hours in the class via um, our remote options. So as our remote students would do, and we're just working with our lower school principal to be able to set those up ahead of time so that they can see into the classroom um, and see how it works. Um, so that's another way that we're changing the way we are um, having students engage in the classroom. And then also for the teacher to be able to see, are they engaged? Are they paying attention? that's an indication of what they would be like when uh, they actually come to the class or if they had to be a remote learner uh, when they started or at some point as well. Okay. You know, another question here, how, how is the pandemic affecting what you're seeing so far, you know, in terms of usual fun, funnel or student behaviors? 
Uh, I'll throw out one piece. We have a, a survey that I've wrapped up and I'm, I'm working on getting out. It'll be out in a couple of weeks here. Um, the, the big thing, I know a lot of people are saying they're down applications. Um, the big result out of that was about half of students who responded. It was about 31,000 responses. About half of students said that they have not started applying yet. Uh, and, and here we are, end of October. That That's a very different behavior than normal right off the bat. But curious what you're seeing. Just a couple quick bullet points. Yeah, same thing uh, you mentioned, Will. We're just seeing students apply later and later, and it's starting to prove itself. Um, you know, we're yesterday and today, if you look at the comparable days last year, we're seeing many more applications yesterday, the day before, and today so far. Um, and we expect that trend to continue over these next three days or so. Um, uh, I think it's a kind of a compound factor here at the University of Miami. We added a short supplemental essay, which of course delays submission. Uh, 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 I think that no matter how many times um, a selective institution like the University of Miami says we are truly test optional, and you know we sign on to the NACAC uh, statement or, or anything like that, I think I think students or families. Um, uh, are a little apprehensive about that, or you know, you've heard these, which to me, I, at least, somewhat surprising stories of it being a rite of passage for students to to take a test. So you know, they're still trying to get in that testing room. Um, and then uh, perhaps the most relatable factor uh, that we can all uh, uh, grab onto is just you know, we're all in this weird. COVID time warp, right? And the, the deadlines are just sneaking up on us. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's definitely a, a, a timeline shift with everything that's happened. And so we here at Maritime kind of went into things knowing that, which is why while we look at the numbers and we see that they're down, um, similar to, to Jay's point in the last couple of days, we have seen that uptick, which is what brings us that optimism. Um, I know our transfer coordinator um, in our, our group chat uh, posted in all caps, I spoke to a handful of transfer students today, this was earlier in the week, and it's been consistent uh, this week. And I think and and those are, those are transfer students who are uh, interested in coming to us for for the spring, uh, and so I think what we're slowly starting to see is kind of that ramp up for for our spring intake in terms of the semesters coming to a close and students are starting to a figure out that okay I need to make my next move and then realizing, okay, I need to make my next move and I need to do it relatively quickly because Thanksgiving's coming up and then the December holiday's coming up. And so similar for fall applicants, like Jay said, we're, people are realizing that the deadlines are coming up and they very quickly roll up on us. Uh, so we just uh, extended our early decision deadline, which is typically November 1st. We've extended to December 1st. Um, and as opposed to last year where we did it just before, uh, literally probably I think it was 24 hours before the, that original November 1st deadline, we uh, did it early this week uh, and just rolled out and said, okay, we're going to go until December 1 uh, for EB. So. For 
for Carlos and Jay here. Uh, when you're when you have these these pacing dashboards and uh, you know you're tracking month by month, week by week, can A1 your office pull up that data and see where you are, or just upper level management? Uh, I'll even add in, can A1 on campus pull it up? Um, it's definitely internal to enrollment, uh, the dashboards and the reports. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, I think there's, I think, I think the access is, 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 is closed off to a select few who, who use it. But, you know, if, if I had a team member come to me and said, Jay, I'm really interested in this, you know, funnel building exercise, I think, you know, we would certainly open that up. I mean, we're not hiding that data by any means. Um, it's just a matter of of walking somebody through it so that they can read it and analyze it accurately, right? Um, so you know, it's 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 it is it, it's it's locked down, but not for any secretive reasons. Um, uh, simply because you know, I mean, I remember when I was an entry level admission counselor, you had no idea what the funnel building exercises were, right? So um, I don't think whether they know what questions to ask or if it even exists then uh, I'd be I'd be happily surprised and uh, certainly would jump on that that um, as you you know that coaching moment that teaching moment to, to help a enrollment professional grow in our field yeah ditto that for sure uh, it's available on our end to to our management team uh, but certainly uh, at, at here at Maritime uh, folks in the in the administration have have certainly asked with regards to recruitment and and all of that and so of course that information is is provided out uh, as as it's asked for and similarly on an internal basis uh, our counselors will will ask about that and so we're more than happy to provide that kind of insight. Yeah, and I'll say on my in my last institutional role. Uh, we used a data visualization tool that was accessible on our intranet to anybody on campus, and we tracked it weekly. So, you know, if a if a fa any faculty or staff member had access to that. So, uh, one quick yes or no. We're almost out of time here. Just a reminder: this will be up on the website as well as emailed out to everybody. Uh, thank you all for for attending. Uh, one quick yes or no question here at the end: uh, Are you seeing? Uh, or, or are you planning to do any uh, uptick in digital advertising or sponsorships to gain more exposure? Yes, we will. Um, well, we have a plan that we have in place, but it'll be periodic um, throughout the season. And so some is general brand awareness. Some are targeted towards specific events that we have coming up, but we will definitely be continuing to do some digital advertising on social media platforms, um, in order to draw people to our site and additional outreach to our uh, partner or the um, targeted like preschool and K-8 schools that we're working with for sure. I've got one last poll here. Uh, everyone's talking about inquiries, you know, how are they coming? There's just a lot of anxiety about what's going on. Uh, so hoping to see a lot of ahead. Let, let, let's aim for that. But. Not as many heads as I was hoping for. <laughs> you can add one for me, Will. Okay, there we go. I'll, I'll throw that in there and we'll count it. <laughs> Same. Well, thank you all for coming today. Uh, we'll get this out. Hope everyone has a, a safe and happy Halloween and, and hope, hope the rest of the year and, and semester closes out strong. So thank you again, um, Tara, Carlos, and Jay. I really appreciate 
uh, you taking your time here today. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Thanks, everybody. Good to present with you, Carlos and Jay. Thanks, you all, for coming. Have a great day. Yeah.